Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Maybe you're a gummy bear parent. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Free range it into the weekend. Easy breezy. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. My baby cry, I put them in the barn. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I'm like pandy free range. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we're talking about parenting styles. Are they real and do they matter? Hmm. I like this topic. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because I thought of this topic. (laughs) That's why I like it. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like parenting styles in the last 25, years 25 I don't know how long maybe you'll tell me from your research but it's like everyone's talking about parenting styles yeah and and we're talking about like helicopter mom tiger mom you know 70s mom french mom snowplow mom snowplow mom that's the new thing yep French mom. I forgot about French mom. She feeds her kids snails at 11 o'clock at night and they never She's complain. so much better than you. Oh, French mom. She's just, and it's funny because I've spent some time in France and like French adults. I don't know. <laughs> Not that much better than me. I, I wrote an think. article so, for Huffington Post about how French parents and 70s parents, it's just the same thing. Like, stop telling me I don't know how to be a French parent. I do. I just be more like my mom. That is hilarious. That's right. It's like fire up a cigarette and don't care that much about yeah. what your kids are doing. And that's that's French mom. That's hilarious. Same same diff. The cheese wasn't as good in the 70s as it is in France. But other than that, same, same. That's true. And I th- I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think the outfits might have been a little bit better in France. I'm going to come in hot and tell you okay. I, I have a problem with these labels. It's judgy McJudge a lot, I think. It's a good way for us to be like, well, I'm not that. I'm not the. And- I agree. And the other thing, the, the, exactly, because the thing that's so funny about these parenting labels is no one ever self-identifies. Except for um, Tiger Mom, right? Yeah, Tiger Mom, I guess people sometimes do. But mostly like, you hear like some people are helicopter parents. Helicopter parents are bad. And I'm like, someone must be the helicopter parent, though, yeah. right? Like you never. I mean, I guess sometimes people are like, I'm worried I'm too much of a helicopter parent. But but they yeah, they'd only self-identify in a negative way. Well, there's ones I think so there's two sort of two kinds. One is the Tiger Mom or the free range parent. Those are two of the I wear this on my sleeve kind. Yeah, I sometimes identify as a free-range parent. I'm, I'm a big fan of free-range parenting. 
I am a big fan of some of the things about free range parenting. And I think that's that's part of my problem with this too, that we use them to sort of judge other people. But also then when we do that, it's like I'm all in or I'm nothing. And that's not true. Like I do some things that are free range and some things that aren't. And that's okay. And when you start like deciding you have to be all this or none of this, then you miss out on the good possibilities of being a little more cafeteria about this stuff. Yeah. Good point. I think you might have solved it three minutes in, but let's keep talking anyway. <laughs> but of course, I I did my deep dive um, into like where this stuff did. came from. Because you're a researcher parent. That's a new a new term. I went back to... You're a librarian parent? What would that be? I'll have to think of a good term. Yeah, right. I'm a librarian mom. Um, I went back to the sort of the first example of this that I could recall, which has been, of course, of course, discredited, was back in the 1940s. A lot of psychologists were pretty sure that there was a thing called refrigerator mothers. Yes. And that if your kid had autism, it was because you were a refrigerator mother. Right. A refrigerator mother obviously is like cold, distant, and unloving. Yep. And it was uh, Bruno Bettelheim and some other male psychologists decided that it had to be the mom's fault. Of course. (laughs) The refrigerator mother. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) I mean, I do think stylistically people were, I mean, I definitely have talked to people of a generation or two before, um, people closing in on a hundred who are like, they'll often say to me, like, my mom never smiled at me. She never played with me. Like, I do think there was a very different parenting style a hundred years ago, which was like, I'm trying to run the farm and you are my laborers. Like, it wasn't a lot of like, Let's roll around on the floor and like make sure that I'm self-actualizing your every moment. Remember that episode where we learned that it was, I think, back in the 20s and 30s, there was a parenting book that said you, you should put your kid in the backyard with a stick, like a baby, and, and, and dig some holes for the baby to have to fall in and crawl out of. And you should have like a hole in a fence if you want to peep at it, but do not, whatever you do, play with that baby or pick it up. Yes. This is the also the example of my mom. I can't remember where she was talking to this person, but she was talking to like a much older lady. And she's like, oh, the crying babies just drive me crazy. And the lady was German. And she's like, my baby cry, I put them in the barn. (laughs) My mom was like, huh, that's an interesting approach. So the refrigerator mother, not responsible for autism, but definitely like a different parenting style than we have today. They put them in the barn. My father-in-law tells the story of being, he he had a German mother, and one of his brothers actually got coal on Christmas morning. Yeah, I mean, that's a, you got to kind of tip your hat to that. I mean, that's pretty that's <laughs> that's pretty crazy. And my kids wanted to know, of course, what this child, what transgression could have been so bad that the thing that's threatened but never actually happens happened. They probably didn't thresh the hay in time. I mean, it was a different world, people. It wasn't basically like my son right now. And I mean, we've lost the script. My son, it's, you know, months from Christmas. And he's like, I I got my list all together. Here are the 17 things I want listed in order of preference. And I'm like, we've come a long way since like, here's an orange for your entire year of correctly threshing the hay. This is where tweet tweet came from. This is right. Tweet tweet was my grandmother um, looking at the uh, sort of loving and maybe helicoptery parenting of P.S. the 70s and 80s and saying tweet, tweet to that. Like I got six presents for Christmas. Right. Back like now what we call neglect. Your grandma was tweet tweeting. She was tweet tweeting at that. Yes. 
Oh, gosh. It is a different day. I think there's something to even be learned from our old friend, the refrigerator mother. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't her fault. But the funny thing is, here's, I guess, here's my problem. Like, you're being told to leave your baby in the backyard and dig holes for it. But then if your baby has autism, it was your fault because you weren't attentive enough. Like, what? what? Let me let me spoil this throughout time. When things go wrong, it's yep. the mom's fault. Like, whatever the advice is given, like, whatever is wrong. Like, I mean, look at us today. Everyone's like, you know, oh, the world is terrible because moms don't instill the right values in their children anymore. Like, spoiler alert. This is all going to come down to, like, no matter what style you choose, it is still your fault when things go wrong. <laughs> this is why we get so caught up in it, because it's like, wait a minute, all roads lead to like, somehow everything I do is wrong. All right, well, let's let's talk about helicopter moms, parents, because I feel like that's the number one. It's a classic. This is the this is the the leader out of the gates. This is the leader in the clubhouse, as they say. This was actually the term helicopter parent was coined in 1990 by two men. In their book, Parenting. <laughs> I love how you say two men. You're so mad. And I believe they call, I, I'd have to look, but I think they said helicopter moms, not helicopter parents, because of course it's the moms. Oh, they definitely say helicopter moms. Don't, don't bother looking it up. They have a book called Parenting with Love and Logic, Teaching Children Responsibility. They also wrote a book called 123 Magic that I, I absolutely love and have found it. Well, I don't really use it anymore, but it was very useful my, when my kids were little about teaching loving discipline by when I count to three, I'm going to take this thing if you don't listen. And, you know, you have to follow through and be firm. And anyway, it worked for me a lot. But these guys said they they thought that uh, you were a helicopter parent when you made decisions for the developing young person rather than with them, when you speak for them. Um, when you just, you know, protect them from failure. Right. Intervening instead of modeling independence. I, I get it. I get what a helicopter parent is. I get it. I, I liked this one. Madeline Levine has a book called Teach Your Children Well, and she defines a helicopter parenting as the confusion of over-involvement with stability. And I think that gets at the core of the issue. Like, if you're a very attentive parent, maybe a little too healthy and don't let your kid fall ever, you think you're providing them with a more stable environment, but your over-involvement can be destabilizing in a way, right? You can create in your child some anxiety, some lack of self-esteem or self-confidence that they can't do something without checking with their parent every time. So over-involvement on our end isn't always more stability for our kids. Well, and it's interesting, right? Like it's definitely been a pendulum switch from like shift from like, okay, baby sleep in Z barn to like, I drive my kid to 900 activities a day. And I am basically the cruise director of their life, making sure that like every moment is maximally fulfilled and every obstacle is, you know, removed from their path. Although I guess that's getting into the snowplow parent. But I think, and I've always just sort of accepted this as gospel, like, OMG, helicopter parents, people are too into their kids, everyone gets a trophy, like, this is the call of our age, right? We hear this all the time. And I was reading some stuff from Grown and Flown, and we're going to have um, Lisa on the podcast in a couple of weeks, but talking about the fact that, like, traditionally, really, that kids did, like, 
stay in the fold of their home until they got married. Most people, I mean, my parents, probably your parents, right? They left their parents' house to go get married. Yeah. Even if they went to college, they came home. Like there was almost a ceremony of like the leaving ceremony where you would walk down the steps of your house and go get in your spouse's car. Like there is this whole new developmental stage where like, kids are kind of out on their own for 10 years in a way that they haven't been in previous generations. And, and yet they're kind of half out of the home, right? They're out of the home and texting us about, do I like chickpeas or not when they get to the cafeteria for lunch? But you're right. The kid, we we judge. But the grown and flown argument would be like, hey, they're texting us to see what they want, but they used to live in the living room. Right. You used to still serve them lunch, you know? No, that that makes sense. Like if you, if you went to college, you went to college in your town. You yeah. Know? This whole idea that you have to leave the nest at 18. Yeah, of course, it's fraught and complicated and not as easy as pushing them out. Yeah. So I, it gave me a different perspective on it. I mean, I definitely think it's funny. I am. I am. I feel like I'm much more refrigerator mom. I went my kid's been interested <laughs> in like martial arts and we went yesterday and he did his first day of martial arts and he loved it. He loved it. He was crazy for it. But it's at four o'clock in the afternoons. It's wildly expensive. Like I almost fainted when she told me how expensive it was. And it's like, oh, to be really good, you have to do it a couple days a week. This is an activity we cannot afford. It's too expensive. And like, we do okay. This is way out. of. It's almost like a car payment a month. There's no way I would do this. And... It involves me going and sitting there for an hour a couple times a week. I was looking around and just thinking like, who is doing this? This seems to me 10 steps past normal, but it's something that most people are doing, I guess. Or you're actually paying the babysitter. That's the sort of New York way to do it because you have to be a couple places at once and one thing's on the east side and one side's downtown. So I will be paying a babysitter to go and then sit there while they do it and then bring it home. And then when you like run those numbers, it doesn't make any sense. I just, I consider myself pretty middle of the road, like income wise and availability wise. I'm a stay at home parent. Basically I have time, but like this seemed to me multiple times too onerous. And it just really shocked me. Like, I think a lot of people are doing this all the time. Yeah. And I would just much rather take a vacation than have my kid study martial arts for a year that he's really not going to use in his real life. You know, I don't think he's going to grow up and become a ninja. You might be a panda parent. Oh, what's a panda parent? That sounds good. I'm very cuddly and I'm quite rotund. So it could be. (laughs) The hottest parent in 2019 is... (laughs) The round, fuzzy parent? It sounds right. Panda mom. Um, This, I... (laughs) From what I can tell, this started like five minutes ago, but I saw lots, read lots of articles about it. I've heard the term. I've definitely seen people. Right. I, I didn't need to look at look at this. So there's a woman named Esther Wojcicki. I'm totally not saying that right. Um, she just wrote a book and she has three children. Um, yes. Who, like one is like the head of YouTube and one is this. Three women, three daughters that have gone on to be incredibly successful. Right. So people are like, how did you do it? That's like the Vampire Weekend mom. You know that band Vampire Weekend? Is their mom a panda mom? One of their moms has, the other kid is like the head of one of the biggest internet companies. And like the other kid is like, I don't know, like president of Guam or something. They're like super successful. Right. So, okay. So how do you do it, Esther, panda mom? And she says that she, she called herself a panda mom. And the way you do that is that you just step back from interfering in your 
children's actions. It's sort of refrigerator mom, but more cuddly, right? You're you're there. <laughs> it's sort of refrigerator mom repackaged as a panda. As a panda, how how much more lovely? You just you don't interfere. Like I I've seen pandas, and you know they they just kind of they just kind of lie there and chew bamboo, and their kid is there somewhere. Like they're there. But they're not all in it. And, you know, if the kid is annoying them, they kind of push them away. Mm. And so she specifically said that she never used baby talk with her children, that she talked to them like little adults. Wait, that does not sound pandy to me. That doesn't sound cuddly. Well, because pandas aren't cuddly. They're indifferent. Do you know? I, do you know that I have touched a panda? I have pet a panda. I went to China and I got to sit next to a panda and pet it. And it chewed on bamboo the whole time. It doesn't care. And it it couldn't have cared less. I was petting it. It feels like a hairbrush, by the way. It's pretty wiry. And I was petting it saying like, you, I'm, I'm so glad I got to meet you. And you're just a, such a beautiful animal. And it was just like, whatever. It was like, whatever, lady. Not impressed. Yeah. So this is, this is clear to me, having met a panda, that they... As my kid would say, hard pass. Hard pass. I mean, not mad at me, but just like... No, but just didn't care. Stand up, walk away, sit there. I don't care. That's my... My 10-year-old has adopted, he might be a panda, his new phrase, whenever anything comes up. I'm like, hey, did you hear that, blah, blah, And his response is always, don't know, don't care. <laughs> He's a panda. He's a mini panda. That's panda mom. Although I feel like if the end is like, do all this so your kids will grow up to be millionaires, that's you're not such a panda mom. Like, spoiler alert, you're not a panda mom if you're... No, there's no way. You know what? I have thoughts, Amy. Let's take a break. I'll be right back. All right. All right. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. 
Okay, we're back. Panda. So <laughs> still about panda. I'm mom. obsessed with the panda. So I think that now how does panda, Amy, oversec with like free range? Because isn't the panda also like you send your kid to the store when they're like four years old? Uh, it is, and I yes. So how does it how does it cross over? I think she panda is more about healthy indifference, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go controversial here. I feel like free range parent can get a little performative. Oh, it definitely can. Right, like Lenore Skenazy, she coined the term free range parent, and she leapt to prominence when she had a um, op ed in the New York Times about how she let her nine year old ride the subway alone in New York City. Which is crazy. I mean, I, I'll, I'm going to here to raise my hand. I live here. That's crazy. I disagree. I don't think it's crazy at all. Uh, oh, God. The subway is like nasty. I, I, Amy, it's not like I don't live in New York. I know the subway. Like nasty things happen on the subway and, and the doors are closed and you can't get out. Like I've been in those situations. I, I let my kids move around New York City by themselves, but not on the subway until they're 14, 15. Right. But it wasn't like she was like, I'm going to let my kid ride all over the world on the subway. Her son was like. She kind of did. Like she kind of like, I mean, it, this is what I mean about it. It's kind of like I let him ride the subway by myself and people had a hard time with that. Like, of course they did and now you're getting to write a New York Times article because they did and now you have an entire speaking career because of course people have a problem with it you're doing it to to rile people up hmm, I disagree I'm a huge free free range fan but to my mind her kid was like I want to try this and she was like let's prep for it here's the map it wasn't like I'm gonna just let you go free you're now an adult you're nine you can wander anywhere on the oh. it was like I want to go here on the subway train mm-hmm and like he had money for the phone, he had the maps, he rode the subway by himself. It's not that big a deal. The other day we were in the city and I was like late for an appointment and I had my 10 year old and I was like, if I drop you on this corner, just find your way over to the office. And if you need help, just ask an adult. Like someone will help you out. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. And this is what I mean, I guess. Like I, I shouldn't be like free rage parenting sucks and I don't do that. Like I do, I do stuff... I let my kids find their way all the time. Um, so I guess there are things about free range parenting that are useful. I think her general point of view is that we have developed a fear in modern life that danger lurks in every place for children and especially for wealthy, privileged parents. It's like this idea of like, oh my God, our children need to be with us at all times until they're 17 years old. Like just striking back against that. And a lot of the stuff she writes about is like people calling police on 10 year olds by themselves at playgrounds, you know, like just this, the culture of like, I need to parent every other kid I see around. And I think that is a really important voice right now. She has a um, quote in her book about, we all think our kids are going to be kidnapped at any moment, right? Or, or it, she suggests that society sort of over imprints that in our brain as a likely outcome. She says, if you actually wanted your child to be kidnapped, how long would you have to keep her outside without watching her for this to happen? About 750,000 years. That's like statistically. Statistically, like kidnappings by abductions by strangers are exceedingly rare and of course horrible but exceedingly rare i just think she's very thoughtful and and on the subject of like like there's this all these studies about like things that keep us safe 
like the fact that like kids don't go outside, they're not running around, they're not riding their bikes. Even like, you know, in a lot of countries, there are no bike helmet laws, which like bike helmets are obviously a good thing. We, you know, all know and have stories of people who are like very, very injured in bike accidents. But requiring bike helmets cuts down bike use. So like in other countries where bike helmet laws are not so strident, people ride bikes a lot more. Like there are trade-offs to everything in life, you know? And I think that she just gives the perspective of like freedom is a trade-off to some degree for safety, but there's a lot in that spectrum and like pushing the edges of that spectrum is useful. There's a sort of sticky thing around free-range parenting, too, is that it's something that's easier to do. You can leave your kid at a playground unattended if you're not going to get arrested for that, right? And there sort of are socioeconomic and racial things around that. Like you can't there, – there are mothers who have been arrested for leaving their kid at a playground while they went to work at McDonald's because they didn't have anybody to watch their kid. and. Right. You know, when you live in certain neighborhoods and have access to uh, legal access and a way to write a strident op-ed in the local newspaper about how people don't understand that you're actually doing it better, that's a little bit different. Like, it's sort of easier said than done for some people. And I, But I guess that there are, I don't have to sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are things about free-range parenting that are certainly worth considering and including. I think there's a lot about it that's really worth considering. My... My daughter came down this morning and was packing up to leave for the day. She's seven, you know, and my husband had found an old briefcase that she fell in love with and she covered it with stickers. And so this morning to get out the door, she packed all the clothes she needed. She packed all the paperwork she needed. She's seven, you know, and stayed up late last night, made her own lunch and packed it all away. And it just gave me that feeling of like the kids are all capable of doing this, but I do it for them. And it's just good to remember and push yourself to like, hey, guys, you make dinner tonight. Like, you're ready to go. My kids are 10, 9, and 7, and there's they don't do enough, you know? It's good to test them in little ways before they have to be tested in big ways. So we, my kids went to um, sleepaway camp for a couple of weeks, and we show up at the bus. Like, we all go to, like, a parking lot somewhere in, you know, the New York City area so that they can get on this bus to go to camp, and we have all their stuff. My... Uh, son's friend, his mom was definitely going free range with this kid, like pack for camp, fine, pack for camp. So they get there and all the kids have a trunk with all their clothes and whatever. And then also a duffel with all their bedding, pillow, towels. Right. And she's like, why do you only have one thing when everybody else has two? Well, he hadn't packed towels, sheets, pillow, blanket. He didn't have anything to sleep on when he got to camp for three weeks, except the bear mattress. There are circumstances where you need to let the kids live with the consequences of their action, but you can't actually send a kid away for three weeks with no towel or sheets or pillows or blankets. And off he went. He got on the bus, but she was going to have to scramble and mail him a box of stuff. And that to me was sort of like, okay, like, how do you work that situation? You can't let them not have a blanket for three weeks in the woods. It doesn't work. And some sort of, you have to find a balance between letting them pack for camp and then for me it was here's what we packed last year here's the list make sure you pack everything on this list go find it yeah having some sort of check at the end of the day i think that's what you're saying is like you don't have to be like i'm totally free range therefore if my kid forgets his blanket towel and all the sheets for you know i mean we now let our kids pack themselves 
And we often get places and they don't have underwear. And I'm like, right, <laughs> right. I'll just stop and get you a pack of underwear. You know, like we can fill in the gaps, but like if you if you go to the pool without your goggles, you're just swimming without goggles. Like, so it's like you kind of find the balance between things. Like, but I think letting them have the responsibility is a great first step. And then figure out where the holes in that are. And also like, we've talked about this before, certain kids are great at this. My seven-year-old could pack for a month away by herself. And like, I would check it once, but I bet it would be right, you know? Yeah. My 10-year-old is not even close to being able to do that. He's just, he's just very disorganized. It's a, a flatter curve for some kids. Yeah, different kids need different supports. And certainly you don't want to set your kids up to fail, but you don't want to literally like have them leave for college and not have ever packed their own bag that it's you've got to find some sort of balance yeah it's balance should we talk about snowplow parents because they've gotten a lot of bad press in 2019 yeah this is the new rage they're like people were like beating down helicopter parents and then it was like wait a minute over here the light's even better let's beat up snowplow parents the latest controversial parenting technique i had to sort of like I'm not even sure I have it yet, but I was sort of like, hey, what's the difference between helicopter parenting and snowplow parenting? Right. And just for the record, this is not a parenting technique. No one's like, I'm trying to be a snowplow parent. Right. No one's studying this technique to perfect it. This is like a a default mode of when you've lost the script. This is not a parenting technique. This is a parent who's more, uh, you know, the story goes, who's more focused on the road ahead, clearing future obstacles for the kid. Like if the helicopter parent is hovering and watching the kid in the moment, the snowplow parent is thinking, how do I fix, how do I make sure that she makes the soccer team next month? Well, what I think is interesting about this too is like, this is the thing of no one thinks they're the snowplow parent. Like the parents who were involved in the whole scandal about college admissions and like, you know, cheating and doing all these ridiculous, crazy things and like getting their kids like put on a mustache and someone else takes their SATs for them. I mean, crazy stuff. At least two of those parents had parenting blogs where they like advised people on how to be good parents. And a lot of what they talked about on those blogs were like, have good character, have good morals. And it's easy to like point and laugh at them and be like, okay, crazy, but you were like hiring a dude to take your kids ACTs. But it's it's more insidious, this snowplow parent, than you think it is. That's what I take away from that. I think it's like, again, it's like it... It's assigned to us if parents back in the day were being told to be refrigerator parents and then being blamed for being cool towards their kids and the outcome of that. We are told that like, okay, beginning because I have a kid who's beginning his junior year of high school. Okay, junior year. By the by the time junior year of high school starts, you should have done this. You should have taken this sample test. You should have been looking at this. You should have visited six schools this summer. They assign you that. And then when people go to extremes, and I'm not saying break the law, but I know somebody who knows somebody who was, you know, who was involved in this whole thing. And they said it's a slippery slope because the first call is about, okay, you want your kid to get into these great schools, right? Okay, so here's the list. Okay, let's see what the scores are. Then you get the scores like, okay. So there's a little bit of a gap here. There's a couple of things we can do. Do you want to talk about that? Sure, we do. Okay, we can do this. We can do that, right? Okay, we're still not there. There There are things we can do. Right now you're so close. Now you're really close. Right. There is something. Right. You're 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 led like hand over hand 
into the ravine of paying somebody to take your kid's SAT for you. Right, because fundamentally, and you must be feeling right this right now, your value as a human being, everything you've done for 17, 18 years with that kid is about to be judged by where they get into college. Like right. that now, it's like, I don't care how many birthday parties you throw. I'm, I don't care how many Pinteresty things you made for the kid. I don't care how many socks you matched and washed. It all comes down to this. And so people feel that pressure and they start to go insane. And it's like, well, it's just, it's, it also seems just like, oh, we just have to close this little gap. It's like, right. okay, that's that you've completely lost the script. But this is the thing about snow plowing. It doesn't happen all at once. It's a very like insidious thing that's like, and everybody feels this. And this is the conversation I've had with a lot of people who they're like, we need to bring back trade schools, you know? It, you, you know, plumbing is a great occupation and being a carpenter and like, we need to bring back trade schools. And it's like, okay, but are you only talking about that for other people's children. Like, just examine it a little bit. Like, I, I agree. I think that trade schools are a great thing. But like, are trade schools only a great thing for other people's kids? Like, are you getting caught up in the idea that like, my kid has to be at the top of the mountain, and then we'll figure out everything for everyone else's kid? Like, it is... It is a mass hysteria, this college thing, and it's not surprising to me that people went crazy and did crazy stuff. Right. You're being fed a diet of there's not enough room on the mountain for everybody, and if you're not already packed six months ahead, you're never going to get a spot at all, like that you're being fed that. And the only thing in the world that matters is the top 10 feet of the mountain. And if you're not there, everything else you've done is a failure. And it's not just college stuff. Like snowplow parenting does apply to younger kids, too. Oh, it's it applies in our town. Who makes the travel team for this particular team? You know, it applies to like whose kid is like the, you know, champion of the spelling bee, whatever it applies to. It applies to a lot of things, which is like it all feels more fundamentally competitive than it actually is. All right. Let, let's uh, let's come back and we're going to talk about tiger moms. I have feelings about tiger moms. Oh, tiger moms. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty-calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber, while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? 
Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. And now, your guide to the lesser-known parenting styles. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. The Groundhog Mom. Sticks her head out every once in a while to check her kids are still alive, before immediately burying herself back in level 6,718 of Candy Crush. The NSA Mom. She's got passwords. All of them. She's monitoring her kids' texts from her laptop. She's got an app that pings her whenever inappropriate Snapchats come through. And for some reason, she even knows her 14-year-old's TikTok login. Air Traffic Controller Mom. Schedules her kids every moment to ensure a smooth flow from breakfast table to bus pickup to after-school activities all over town. The Godfather Mom. Sits in a back room. Waits for kids to approach her to ask her favors. If she says yes, you're going to owe her. The Rabid Squirrel Mom. Runs around in panic circles just trying to keep up and find some time for snacking. Signature phrase, has anyone seen my keys? This has been your guide to the lesser known parenting styles. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Amy, I know you've been wanting to talk tiger moms. (laughs) You know, a lot of people think that the term was coined by Amy Chua in her 2011 bestseller, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Okay. But it is actually the first use of it seems to be in a book about Egypt from 1878. <laughs> <laughs> That's surprising. Congratulations on this deep dive, Amy. You've really outdone yourself. I love this stuff. Carl Benjamin Klunziger was studying the Bedouins of Egypt. And he said that among the Bedouins of Egypt in the 19th century, there was a fear of mothers-in-law whom they called tiger mothers. And then he wrote it. You have to hear it in German because it's even better. Mother-in-law, tiger mother, which Klunzinger wrote as Schweigermutter, tiger mother. Wow. But does it mean the same thing? Or is it just like a mother-in-law is scary? That was sort of like mother-in-laws are scary and they were probably running things, um, probably very matriarchal. So no, now today it's more about the strict parenting styles that are typically enforced in Asian households okay, in Asia and in the United States, fixated on success. And that success is very tightly defined in certain fields, presumably like music and uh, math science. It probably could be a good ballet dancer because it's very definable, right? It's precision, it's high skills, it's tons of practice. I uh, I had a problem with this Tiger Mother book because I felt like she said things in her book that were outrageous, like, you know, she once sat next to her child on a piano bench for three hours and wouldn't let the kid get up even to go to the bathroom. She's throwing their stuffed animals out because they're not pleasing her. 
And then she went on every single talk show and she's like, well, I don't really mean it like that. I mean, I'm not really like that. It's really more like this. I didn't, I didn't mean it like that when I said it. But the reason she got to be on the talk show is because she told stories of not letting her kid get up from a piano bench for three hours. You see what I mean? Like, she- This is your same objection to free range kids. Like I wrote an article, but yeah. It's really not exactly what I'm trying to say. Right. That, right. This whole like I sent my, you know, I sent my boy to Target wearing a, you know, princess power T-shirt and somebody said something to him and that and then and now I'm writing about it and getting a book deal. It's like kind of like you're doing this. Right. It's, it's performative. performative. Yeah. Yeah. And, and heaven knows, you know, the results of your kids are performative. But there was one thing from her book that I love that I think about all the time. And I try to tell my kids all the time. She talked about, I think her kids play tennis too. Like just things that you have to practice a lot at and they don't right. want to do it. And she made them. And she explained to them that getting good at something is hard and being good at something is amazing and easy and fun. I think that overall point is really good. And I've been struggling with this a little bit in my own parenting lately that like, how do you instill work ethic and hard work? And like, now I kind of want to, like the martial arts thing is helpful with that. It's like, you're just going to practice it and get better and better and better. Um, although we're probably not going to go because I don't want to sit there for an hour. <laughs> um, and like, I do think that that's something that I seek information about for myself. Like, how do you instill work ethic? I think it's very interesting. Like, how do you instill like, sacrifice for the greater good. And I mean, I think you have to do it by constant repetition and constantly like keeping that at the top of your triangle and making sure that like this is the value of your household. But that is something that I think a lot about lately. Like as my kids get to be 10, 9, and 7, like starting to hear them kind of like, I don't want to go to the pool. I'm bored of the pool. I'm like, my head explodes. Like I get so tweet, tweet. I'm like, I cannot believe I just heard the phrase. I'm bored of the pool, you know? And so I do find myself like if I were to target the struggle of my parenting life right now, it would be like instilling value and work ethic in my kids. And I I do find myself a little mystified by that. She would argue, I think that you know, we're much more focused on getting our kids to want to do stuff. Like, how do we, how do we instill the work ethic in them? And I think she would be like, don't, don't worry about that. You make them do the work because that's your job. And then, the, then the work ethic will come. But you teach them to have the work ethic by making them do the work. They wouldn't be at the pool, that's for sure. Yeah, and that's hard because they're very whiny and annoying, yeah. <laughs> and it's a lot easier to just ignore them. And so I do think that that's where like, I'm all for the panda mom. Like, of course, I want to be like, I'm the mom who's just completely relaxed. I don't fuss over stuff. I let them do what they want. But then I have like the like 3am cold sweat of like, my kid today said like, I don't want to go to the pool. I'm too bored of the pool. I'm like, wait a minute, I can't be raising a child who is too bored of the pool, you know? I mean, by the way, our town pool, like we don't have a pool in our backyard, but like right. just the idea that like it's too much of a hardship to go to the pool is like when I hear that phrase, I'm like, I've lost, I've lost everything. And that's, I think, where we're getting to with all of these parenting styles. It's like, it's not a full reflection of my parenting that my child uttered the phrase, I'm too bored to go to the pool. But it no. is kind of like, let me reset and like work a little bit. And that is something I'm bad at. Like I... I don't want to stand over a kid and make him practice a piano, but I, I think my kids are going to wish they played piano when they're older. Right. And so, but I don't really do it because I'm, I'm, 
I find it annoying. I don't want to do it. Okay, so I'm going to say that in this case, right, where you're like, should I should I be making my kids practice the piano? Yes. That there's a possibility that you can sort of take a card from the tiger mom's hand without being a tiger mom. See what I'm saying? Like when we spend too much time yes. being like, well, I'm not that. Well, I'm not that. We're missing out on the possibility that there are some good things. Yes, I think that's very true. And that's like... Can you take a page from Tiger Mom's book without being like, my new life is getting both of my kids into elite Ivy League institutions where they will be doctors by the time they're 19, you know? And on the other hand, because it is an all or nothing, Katie Royfe wrote an article about um, the myths of helicopter parenting. And she said, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're not one because you probably are. I know parents who think of themselves as very unhelicoptery, but they're just helicoptering in different ways. Yes, very true. Right? And so when we're like, well, I'm not that. I'm not crazy like those people. I'm not a snowplow parent who pays somebody to take the SAT. Right. But did you call the drama teacher when your kid didn't get the parts you wanted in the play? And, you know, then right. maybe you are a little bit. And, and it's sort of like the moat in your own eye instead of the, the plank in the other one's eye. Maybe these labels... We just spend too much time deciding everybody else is doing it wrong. And are there like, are there good things? Like you shouldn't necessarily feel guilty about, like if you decide you want to get up on Saturday morning and make Mickey Mouse shaped pancakes and like get all the kids in their favorite Disney pajamas and do a big Disney themed breakfast because that's fun to you. It doesn't mean like, oh, you're like, you're shaping every narrative of your kid's life and you're a monster. Like it's okay to like, be kind and giving to your kids, it doesn't mean that you're like a bad person and a bad parent. It's just you might not want to curate every single experience they have all day, every day for their entire lives. Right. So, okay. So consider that we maybe don't fit any of these categories cleanly and shouldn't and don't feel bad about, as you say, doing the stuff that you love and paying attention to your kids in the ways that are important. I mean, I'm going to usher my kid through this college process with awareness that it's crazy and with awareness that some parents are crazy about it and with awareness that I'm probably a little bit crazy about it too, but I'm going to try not to spend too much time feeling bad about that or trying to define myself in opposition to another because like, whatever, just do it, do what needs to be done for your kid in this situation. Yeah. And realize that like the Achilles heel of the whole college cheating thing is getting over attached to an outcome that is fundamentally out of your control. That's what mm-hmm. I try to keep going back to and back to and back to. Like whether or not my kid gets the lead in the school play that I know they're perfect for and they've been talking about and talking about and talking about for years and it will be the heartbreak of their life if they don't get it. The number one thing you have to recognize about that situation, it is not in your control and it is not in your kid's control. Yeah. And like really being true with yourself about what you can and cannot control. And and also realizing that like what lifestyle, I come back to something my pediatrician told me a, a lot of years ago, which is it's 50% what you want and 50% what your kid wants. So my kid is desperate to do martial arts and loves it. But the martial arts place is too expensive and too time consuming. And so probably we're going to end up not doing it. And my kid is going to be quite disappointed. But I may be like, okay, if you love martial arts, maybe we can find a different school that isn't as expensive. Maybe we can find 
I was looking at like gymnastics places because a lot of what he likes is like tumbling. Like, mm-hmm. what are the things that we like about this? You know, tumbling, discipline, physical, maybe something a little bit like other culturally about it. And like, where can we replicate these things at a school that is not as immersive and not as expensive? And so we can find a way to make these things work together without it being like, I'm taking obstacles out of the way, you're getting everything you want. Or I'm just like, you're not going to get anything you want because I'm not going to help you because I am a free-range parent. And it occurs to me that we were just saying like, well, your daughter can pack herself for a vacation, but maybe one of your other kids can't. Like, it's okay to be more helicoptery with one kid and more panda-y with another kid. They respond to different things. It's not one size fits all. Of course it's not. So do what's right for your kid. And then just, I think, be open to the possibility that maybe you can do things a little bit differently. Yeah, and that kids really, Frank Bruni of the New York Times has a book called Where You Go Isn't Who You'll Be, and it's about the college admissions race, basically, and talks about, you know, he works at the New York Times, and he's like, listen, in the Times newsroom, there's very few Ivy League graduates. It's a lot of, like, state school kids, you know, and, like, and and a lot of different places in life. As you look around at adults, you don't necessarily see, like, every single person who you know who is a successful adult, like, they came from all sorts of different places and all sorts of different traditions. And like, it's fine. It all like, as we start moving up the mountain, like there's a lot of room, there's more room than we think. And there's a lot of different paths up that all get to the same place. Fundamentally, it doesn't get to like the rare air Ivy League. Oh, my God, this is the only thing that matters. It just gets to like a clearing where everybody's kind of milling about in a okay way. I think we solved it. I'm going to say like, you know, I'm a little tigery today and I'm a little helicoptery tomorrow and and then I'm going to free range it into the weekend. Easy breezy. I like it. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone kind of knows. Like I would say I'm like pandy free range is my goal, you know, at the top of my list. But like, yes, it's it's more of a kaleidoscope than a list. A little bit of everything, Amy. Parenting is a Kaleidoscope by Margaret Abels. Oh, God. That is a book you will never read. With foreword by Amy Wilson. Yes. No. A book that will literally never exist. So please do not look for it in your local bookstore. But we do have a lot of good links to studies and articles and stuff and all these different types of moms. And I'm going to put them where I always put them on our website, whatfreshhealthpodcast.com. Although if you're listening to this in a podcast app, you can always kind of swipe or tap and find them there as well. That is really helpful. I did not know that exists. The swiping and tapping, I like it. You can also, guys, please come to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhealthcast, or just search whatfreshhealthpodcast and you'll find us because we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group where we are discussing all of the stuff that comes up on these episodes and we want to hear what kind of parenting style you're rolling with. Maybe you have a parenting style we've never heard of. We will be sure to discuss each one of these styles. Yes, maybe you're a gummy bear parent. Come explain what that <laughs> that is. You're something new. Right, get a book deal. Come tell us what kind of parent you are. Yes, get a book deal. Don't write an article in the Times and then go on today's show because Amy will be so annoyed with you. I'll cast a gimlet eye on that. Um, we're also on Instagram at WhatFreshHellCast and we're on Twitter at WFH Podcast. And guess what? We're going to take next week off from the podcast. Guys, we're taking a vacay, a much needed vacay. End of summer vacay. We'll be back on uh, September 4th. So we're just going to, you're just going to miss one episode and there's going to be um, an Ask Margaret in the meantime. So, I mean, 
Lots to keep you entertained. Don't sweat it at all. And uh, go back and find some old stuff from our catalog and uh, spend the week telling your friends to check out What Fresh Hell. And we will talk to you guys in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking